Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You know it's not smart being sent the wrong resumes. Read the right resumes with ZipRecruiter. Post your job to over 100 job sites with a single click at ZipRecruiter.com slash AndreaTown. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology finds the right people for you and actively invites them to apply. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can get to try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash AndreaTown. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash A-N-D-R-E-A-T-O-W-N. We're also brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash AndreaTown and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a free title and start listening. And I've posted a blog post recently with all the Audible books that I've listened to. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So check out Audible. It's uh, www.audibletrial.com slash AndreaTown. This week on the podcast, I interview Mike Marino, one of the hardest working guys in show business, folks. He's got a YouTube channel. Check out everywhere that he's touring on his website. And um, we talk about um, everything from comedy to growing up in Jersey. Check it out, y'all. Let's go. Next up, Town, Everybody, welcome to the podcast, my friend, Mike Marino. Hey, Mike. Well, hey, good morning. Sorry to get you guys up so early, but I'm here in Florida on the East Coast. Yeah, I saw that. What are you doing out there? I'm uh, performing all weekend here tonight and tomorrow at the Boca Black Box in Boca Raton, Florida. The big comedy oh, theater. That's a, that's a great venue. It is. Be a lot of fun, and all the Italians tonight. from Jersey moved to Florida anyway, so they're following you down there, right? Well, hey, you know what? We had 150 people last night, and quite honestly, a hundred were Jewish, and then about maybe 25 were Italian. <laughs> it's funny though, don't you kind of feel like it's the it's very similar? I have a, I have a lot of friends that are Jewish, and when they talk about their family and their culture, it's so similar to Italians. It is similar. The only difference is they pay to have somebody whacked. We just do it ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can't hire Sheldon the hitman to come out there and <laughs> and kill yeah. somebody. And also, too, their food sucks. I'm sorry, but it's just uh, some bagels and then that's about it. Matzo ball soup maybe, but Italians, we, we kill it with the food game. You know what? Food-wise, the Italians are always going to be on top. We're always going to kill it. There's nothing you can do about it. But I will stick up for the Jews when it comes to a Jewish deli because they know how to make that pastrami sandwich with mustard. They make the best coleslaw. And, you know, mm. if we're really talking about cultures making the best, from there you're going to have to go to a Greek diner if you want good diner food and a good cup of coffee. It's just the way I see it. <laughs> Yep, that's 100%. It's funny, in, in uh, Jersey, all the diners are Greek. Yeah. Greek you owners. Don't mess with yeah. That. You go to a diner, you got to find one that's bright, white, really, really gaudy with stupid-looking statues. You're going to be eating like a king. <laughs> <laughs> and you can order anything. It's crazy. Everything they cook on the menu is good. It's not just Greek food. I had the best cheesecake of my life in, uh, I think it was Tom's River. 
Tom's River. And they, she said that to me. She said, do you want dessert? And I said, no, nah, I'm all right. And she goes, trust me, you're going to want the cheesecake. And I'm all right. Yeah. Why don't you talk me into it? And I'm you not a big, I, I, I'm not, it's not my favorite, but it was amazing. Now I'm hungry. This whole conversation is fantastic so far, because when you do go to a Greek diner, especially down on the Jersey Shore or maybe North Jersey, yes, it's funny how the, the menu looks like the Bible. There's tons of things to eat. And somebody's yeah. going to go in there, let me have a hamburger deluxe. And your partner's going to go, I'll have the lobster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 100. I'll take the surf and turf. Yeah, you could. And they cook everything amazing. And I don't, yeah, I mean, out here in Vegas, mm, you know, you got to pay a lot. You got to go to a really fancy place. And that's what, that's what blew my mind when I moved to LA. I was like, where's the diners? You got no diners? It's like, aside from Jerry's Deli, there's not really a lot of places that, you know, uh, Greenblatt's, but they're not open and they're not open in the morning. You can't go for breakfast. It's hard to find a, a the similar situation in LA. Yeah, you're probably never going to, and uh, maybe it's for the best. People on the East Coast, New York, New Jersey, Boston, they live hard. And when it snows, you better have some good soup in that diner. That's a damn sure. That's right. They're not fucking around. L.A., they're like, yeah, you got nice weather. We're not, we don't care about what you eat. And it's true. It's uh, that, that Jersey life is rough. So t- I, I've known you, I'm trying to think, it's got to be over 10, 15 years now that, that I've known you from the Laugh Factory. But, but give us a little bit of background about, uh, obviously you're from Jersey. We talk about that. But give us some background about what you're doing and what you're up to. Because you're, I just want to say you're one of the people that you are always busy. You're always working. You're always busy. And I love that about you. I love your energy. Show business is a tough road. It's not that easy. It's not really about how talented you are. It's about who you know on the other side of the door that opens it up and says, come on in. And as you know, you could uh, go out every night of the week and just be an absolute slaughter. And you still got to fight for your work. But luckily, I started in the industry as a young little kid doing TV commercials. And I grew up in New Jersey, on the other side of Manhattan's river, the Lincoln Tunnel, and I would just go to commercial auditions, and I grew up doing potato chips and gum and hamburgers. But when I was around 23, 24, I left New Jersey to go to Los Angeles, pursuing my career as an actor. And when it was so hard, because you're constantly going on auditions that you never booked, I had a flair for comedy, and I started going to the comedy store, and before you know it, I had an addiction to live performing. There's just something about it that you, you're addicted to it. So from the comedy store to the laugh factory, kept going out every night. And now this is all I do. I mean, I still do acting. I still do movies and stuff like that. But I like touring the world. I've been all around the world like twice now just performing stand-up comedy. Did you ever do stage? I mean, did you act like in theater and stuff as well? I did theater when I was really, really young. But luckily, kind of, I found out uh, doing theater at a young age, you're not going to pay the rent, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, but I I, I think there's, I I think we get that like same surge when we're doing uh, stand up comedy. Like I started, I started with live audiences too as a kid, really young. And I think that's why. 
I love stand-up comedy, like, because I love that energy. Even when I did act, I love sitcoms more than film because I love that energy. I love to know, like, is this working, what I'm doing here? Can someone, you know, I love that feedback, that, like, instant feedback that we get as comics and we get it, you know, if you do theater, you know, not that anybody boos a play, but you just you just feel that energy of of live bodies watching you perform that I think there's just nothing like it. First time I did a film, it was like so silent, it, especially if you do a comedy film. It's like it's just, you know, maybe like people in the background are smiling, but it's so quiet. It sort of freaked me out. Well, you know, it's also like we're do or die. There's no such word as cut when you're doing live performing and you're not going to make a mistake and go to a commercial break, you're on and that's it. So, and that's the adrenaline. And, uh, if you get a couple hundred people and then you grow to a theater of a thousand people and then you hit 5,000 people, it's like the greatest drug you're ever going to stick in your vein. And I don't do drugs and I don't drink. So I guess I need my addiction of comedy. (laughs) That's another thing that's always fascinated me about you, too, is that you really, you know, so many comics that I'm friends with, you know, uh, are daily drug users. You know, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, and so I just I can't function like that. Like if I smoked pot every day, I I just I would leave the house. I would just there always be something on Netflix that I'd rather watch than, you know, than go out and, and do anything productive. But. But you're not, you've never been that way, you know? And, and as a result, too, I think you've always had a level of professionalism um, that, is, that is respected in the industry. Well, I appreciate that, yeah. I'm going to keep on trying. I'm friendly to all the other comedians. Um, I deal with the agents and the bookers as best I can without hurting anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a rough part of it, right? I like to be part of another comedian's life like do they go through what i go through do you hear the shit that i hear well i don't know if i can curse on your podcast i apologize yeah you can yeah you know you can say Uh, whatever the fuck you want (laughs) oh thank you very much (laughs) yeah no you know what go ahead no, I was going to say, I, I think, I think everybody deals with it. I think there's different levels of it. And I think there's different ways to cope with it. You know, I've worked on the management and agent side of the business. And then I've worked, you know, as a performer and, um, and that really helped me get a, get an understanding, you know, because we're artists, we have to stay in that creative space. Um, mm-hmm. but as you know, cause you have so many like things that you're involved in, uh, producing wise that, you know, it's like you kind of, when you wear both hats, it's difficult because you have to stay creative and open and spontaneous, but then you also have to think in that business head. And it's just, it's two different, it's like two different parts of your brain working. And I don't think all, um, I don't think all entertainers have that ability to be able to think of it from a business perspective. Yeah, there's a lot of comedians that I know that don't have that business sense. They really don't see certain things, and they wonder why they don't have a bank account or a 401k and stuff like that. But you have to. Otherwise, you know, by the time this all comes to an end, you find yourself living with your parents. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. And um, so when you started in stand, you feel like comedy is kind of making a comeback. Like when you you started – was it hot or was it not? Because there's like waves, right, with comedy? Supposedly, when I started stand-up, which was, let's say, I was like 28, 29 years old, and I was going to a comedy club in New Jersey called Rascals. 
it was coming down to the end of its heyday. That whole era of those guys making so much money, playing and playing and playing, was coming down to the end of the era. And I think that was the early 90s. And then I started going to the comedy store, of course, in California, and that seemed to be coming into a slump, too. But now it's almost like a whole big new rage because of social media, and there are comedians who are making $100,000 a year now making millions. So there's really no in-between, let's say. There's people who go to open mics, and then there's people who make a great living, and then there's some guys making millions. Yeah. So, you know, you got to keep your eye on the tiger. (laughs) Yeah, and we know them. We came up with them, you know? Yeah. And that's that's the deal. It's funny. It's like a lot. I have a lot of people. When I used to do my Friends with Benefits show at the Improv, you know, a lot of those people were on the show. And so now people, friends, you know, and fans and stuff will text me and be like, can you believe I just saw so-and-so, you know, they become so huge. And yeah, and it's just like, you never know. You, I don't know. I, I don't, I think if I was a, if I was like gambling and I would have put bets, um, some of the people that have become hugely successful, as talented as they are, wouldn't have been the bet that I would have taken over some of the other people. You know what I mean? So it's just interesting what people respond to and how careers develop. And, um, you know, and as I, I always feel like as long as you're doing what you love to do, that's the most important thing. And you, you never stop working. You're always working, Mike. Um, I hustle like crazy. I do a lot of the, 90% of everything I do myself. I freelance. I work with a lot of different bookers, but for the majority of the time, I go in there on my own. I figure it out. I call who I got to call and stay on top of it. And because of I right now I have some pretty good social media and I'm selling tickets and through all the frustrations of dealing with the people on the other side of the door, the joys that come through are the actual fans. So yesterday and the day before, I was on two different flights, and here comes what makes me stay in the game. I got on the plane, and a guy working on the plane said, oh, my God, it's Mike Moreno. I'm such a big fan. And he caused the line just trying to get my picture. And I says, okay, sure, no problem. And then when I went and got my seat, then the guy next to me says, geez, man, I hope you don't mind, but my wife and I are really big fans. And if I tell her you're sitting next to me, she's not going to believe me. Can I call her and put you on the phone? And I said, absolutely, because this is what we work for. And then you have your humble pie and you take your little moment and make these people happy. And then uh, when an agent or manager says, hey, I don't get your work, I don't like you, I don't want to represent you, you say, that's okay. I just called some guy's wife. That's how big a fan they are of mine. So you can go take a shit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what? It's so funny because uh, there were a lot of people coming up that have made it really big that, that, you know, a lot of people, you know, I remember when I started working at the Laugh Factory, a lot of people that weren't performing there that I was like, these people are great and they need to be here, you know, and then I got a lot of pushback. So, you know, it's like, 
you just you have to really keep, I think, a positive uh, mindset and then know what you're doing and know that it is about the audience. It's not about the booker. It's not about the club. It's not it's not about any of those things. It's about the, the audience and the people. And, you know, you know what you're doing and, and, and you challenge yourself. Now, how do you um, what's your process like with writing and stuff? Do you um, do you write every day? Do you bring in new stuff? Do you just hone the stuff you have? Do you because I know you it sounds like you've incorporated a lot of what's going on in the world today politically and and had that feed into your into your comedy. But talk a little bit about that, because I think people don't know and they're always interested as to what every comic has a different process. Well, what I like to do, I was never really a professional sit down, write it into the book type guy. I never did that. I used to take comedy classes, stand up classes, and they would say to me, why aren't you writing it down? And I says, because they just don't like doing that. So what I do now is when I'm going to an area, I take a look around to what's funny to me. And then I talk about it on stage. And it usually gives me my first 15 to 20 minutes of performing. And it could be material that I'll never use again. Or it'll be material that I'll create and keep and use it in a different area, changing some words. And then I write in a book just the sentence of what I see rather than the paragraph. So, for instance, I was entertaining on a cruise ship, and when we pulled into Cuba, I never saw Cuba, so I made fun of it. The audience started laughing like crazy, so I go into my book and I write the word Cuba. And now I can take those jokes and I'll do it tonight in Florida just by explaining what I wow. saw and why. And then let's say if I was to say family, I write the word family and I remember what I want to talk about. If I write dating, I just write the word and I remember. And I, I've always been that way. I just write either a word or a sentence and it reminds me of what I want to do. And then of course, with politics going the way it is, you can make a comment on what I would do in that situation of course, those jokes only last a certain amount of time because then it's not in the news anymore. But it could give you a great foundation of something new for that month, let's say. Yeah, that's great. I, I've heard people say that, that they, that they don't write. So a lot of people don't write stuff down. And I, I'm a writer, so I write stuff down. But I've found that my I, I kind of really hone it <clears throat> on stage. You know, like I'll, I'll think of an idea. I'll write a bunch of stuff about it. But... It's usually on stage in the moment or through crowd work that it like goes, oh, okay, there it is. You know, I had the idea, but I just, I knew there was something there, but it was, it's almost like mining, you know, you just, I mine it on stage and then I find, oh, okay, that's the direction just based on, I don't know, being in the moment. I think, you know, a lot of new comics and, and I see them a lot out here in open mics, you know, they'll write a bunch of stuff. But they're so in into what they've written that they can't go off script. So they're on stage just, you know, not present with the audience. And, and they sense that, you know, and you've always done you, you've always done really well with crowds and, and great with crowd work. Have you do you get nervous before you go on? Do you have any of the jitters or any of that? I think uh, everybody gets nervous. And I remember a long time ago, I was at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And Armando Sante came in to give a seminar, and I'll never forget this. 
But he said, the day you're not nervous before you go on the stage is the day you're going to bomb. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, because you got cocky. Mm. So we all should have the adrenaline rush of, hey, I'm nervous, um, but I can't wait to get out there. And then sometimes, like I've done some really big events, and before I walk down on stage, I forget my entire act. I'm like, what's my opening line? How do I forget? What do I do? How does it go? But as soon as you walk out on stage and people are cheering, it comes to you immediately, and away you go. Well, yeah, I mean, I've I've heard people say that they've they've done that, like especially uh, television, you know, doing like the Late Show or Tonight Show or whatever, where they just yeah. froze, <laughs> just everything went out the window, and and I, you know, it's just I find those sets when I watch, you know, friends of mine and ours who are, you know, who do late night or whatever, it's so different than what they do, you know, in a club. So I, I understand why it would be weird or why in certain situations you totally forget your act because it's just, it, it's just a completely different like venue, you know, to do it like on a stage and, you know, at a late night talk show, as opposed to just getting up and doing a set, you know, wherever at the laugh factory, the comedy store, whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to roll with the punches and I, uh, don't ever want to get cocky before I get on stage. I think that'll be the day I don't do well. So I stay as humble as I can because really when you think about it, so many people paid a certain amount of money to be entertained. That's, that's an ego boost right there. <laughs> and I've never seen you not do well. You know, not that I've seen every one of your sets, but I've never seen you not do well. Have you had a time where... You know, you just really felt like you bombed. And how do you deal with with that? Do you beat yourself up or do you, you know, what's your sort of process when it just didn't go the way you wanted it to go? Well, of course, in the beginning, you, bo you bomb all the time. You actually go out to bomb on purpose. I remember a lot of people would say, make sure you go out every night and get your ass kicked and bomb as many times as you can so that you can get strong. And now, of course... There's no real such thing as bombing, but there are nights where I feel like I could have did better. I feel like, why did it go that way? Why did I try that at that particular moment? And the audience actually doesn't notice, but you do because you're hard on yourself. I'm very, very hard on myself. I don't know why I do that. I torture myself. But then there's a night like I had last night. There's 200 people just yelling and screaming and saying they're in pain and their jaw hurts and their stomach hurts. And I actually was on stage saying, I'm going to hurt you. I, I'm purposely on stage. I'm going to hurt you <laughs> by making you laugh so hard. It's going to be painful. And I don't know why I got like that, but I enjoy it. And then I crack up laughing because I can't believe I really did do it. And they are in pain. <laughs> I had a lady yeah. come up to me last night. She goes, I can't move my face. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, like, you know, after like a good, a good hard laugh, you know, it's like you felt like, oh God, I feel like I did crunches or sit-ups yesterday. You know what I mean? If you yeah. really, really mm -hmm. belly laugh. Who were some of your inspirations coming up in comedy? Or when you were a kid well, or whenever you when I was you sitting in the got... back of the room with the gang at the comedy store back in the day, I used to love to watch Andrew Dice Clay, of course. 
And mm-hmm. uh, I still know where he is and what he's doing these days. In fact, we're performing tonight 20 minutes away from each other. And he'll be on stage with Wheels Parisi, who he and I talk every day for the past 30 years. And they're doing shows together. Uh, I miss those days of just sitting there and watching. But I thought, you know, of course, Rodney Dangerfield was the one who made me think I should try to be funny. Mm. Not that I knew him like I knew Dice, but I used to listen to his albums and I used to like the movies. And I thought, you know, well, he's a goofy looking guy. I could do that, too. It's interesting. It's interesting what, you know, what we like kind of uh, respond to, you know, because everybody's different with their tastes in comedy. And and would you say that um, so when you when because you headline, you've been headlining for years, but how did you start? Did you open for certain people when you first started out? Yeah, I opened for a lot of different comedy headliners. I opened for Dice for quite some time. I opened for a lot of singers, and I still do, uh, because it's a different format. And uh, I don't remember any bigger name comedians that I opened for, because eventually when you do headline, you're pretty much by yourself. And then you say goodbye to your friends, because you're on the road, and they're on the road. So here I am, 20 minutes away from Wheels Parisi, but I can't even see him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and how many how many weeks a year do you spend on the road? I guess in the last five years, it seems like I'm on the road every week. Wow. It's not how do you something manage I set that? out to do, but the money's really good. Yeah. And I guess, yeah. like, I, I was doing a show can. in L.A., and I ended up booking a movie role. We started filming on December 10. But had I not have been doing stand-up, I probably wouldn't even have had an audition for the movie. Uh, congratulations on that. And yeah, that's that's a good way to get a movie role because the auditioning process can be brutal. I did a movie um, two years ago, and the movie just premiered at a big film festival. And oddly enough, I was the host of the awards gala in the same film festival. And then that's people crazy. were putting two and two together saying, hey, wait a minute, the co-star is the comedian. Because I was a co-star <laughs> as an actor. And That's I crazy. didn't even audition for the movie. I got in it because I knew the director. But I was the fifth lead. I was playing a cop. On the third day of shooting, they fired the co-star because he was too drunk to get out of the trailer. And he was a movie star making $25,000 a week. And they fired him. And the director turned around to the producer and said, take this script and hand it to that comedian, Mike Marino. He's now co-starring in this movie. And that's how I got it. <laughs> that's how fast it can happen, right? What's the film called? Can people see it? Is it out anywhere? Yes. Yeah. The movie's called Criticized, and it's criticizedthemovie.com. And it's a thriller about two cops trying to find a serial killer. And uh, a little gory in some places. But it's a mystery. So serious, a serious role for you. Yeah, it's a thriller. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of the movie Seven makes you think, where is this guy? And I got a pretty good role. And yeah, they toned me down and I went back to my acting chops. And uh, when the movie premiered, everybody was saying the co-stars, you know, fantastic. And then they saw me host the gal and I'm like, wait, wow, you could do both. <laughs> 
Yeah, and that's the thing. You can do both. You know, actors, comedians, well, I, I, I want to say that some some comics acting is not their thing. I've seen it. You know, it's like, oh, okay, that's mm-hmm. clearly not your thing. And then some actors, you know, really great at acting and then not, not great at comedy. It's very few people that I think can make that transition and really kill at both. So if you can do that, I think that's... That's great, but I also think you started in that and then sort of transitioned over. You know, do you prefer one over the other? No, I want to work in the industry and I want to do both. I would love to be working as an actor during the day and doing stand up at night. Yeah, that would be great, right? Have you ever uh, th- thought about writing? Because your your life is interesting. I mean, you talk a little bit about your mom and her cooking and all that you ever thought about like a sitcom based on your life kind of how comics used to do you know years ago yeah i filmed a sitcom which is basically like watching modern family jersey style and we try to sell it and try to get it out there it's called reconstructing jersey which is about my family living in the basement eating pasta and being in construction like it really was and, you know, you got to know somebody on the other side of the door that would say, hey, this could be the next Ray Romano. Let's give it a shot. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, I even filmed through the 80s and 90s my life on the Jersey Shore with my friend because we had a house on the Jersey Shore, just like what you see in the Jersey Shore show. And I took it and I videotaped everything for 15 years. So technically, I created the first reality show back in the 80s. I downloaded it, transferred, and now we're trying to get it on Netflix. And we actually met with the lady who created the Jersey Shore show. And she said to me flat out, you're a genius. She goes, how are you so ahead of your time? I'm like, I don't know. Can you get it on TV, please? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Enough with the compliments. Where's the contract? But yeah, yeah, no, I get that. And and, and I think... I think you you are just such a hustler and you're so like proactive, you know. I can imagine, you know, that that's always kind of been your demeanor. Does that come from somewhere in your family or are you the first one out with that kind of motivation? Well, my family really is from Italy. I mean, it's not even a joke. Uh, my mother's got six brothers and sisters. I mean, everybody's gone now, but they all came from Italy. So quite honestly, they hustled in any kind of aspect. And most of my family was in construction. Uh, I was the only one that pursued the arts, which was kind of strange because my family couldn't help me. They had no idea what I'm doing. They still don't know how I do what I do. I have a younger brother who is a very, very big construction company. And he'll call me from time to time and go, yeah, I was out with these guys the other day. And this one guy goes, man, we got to go see this comedian. He's, he does this whole big thing about being Italian and being the president. we got to go see him. And my younger brother goes, let me guess, is it Mike Marino? He goes, yeah, you know him? <laughs> my younger brother will go, yeah, I know him. But he doesn't say anything like, yeah, I know exactly how to get tickets. He, he don't say much. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, I know him. He's my brother. They'd be like, what? That's great. Yeah, it, that's really you know, great. So they're strange. shocked that Friends this came out of nowhere. Right? This came out of nowhere that you were just able to be a performer. They must be like, where? Mm-hmm. I mean, they they got to be in awe. Yes and no. I think they really don't. Uh, relatives, family members, friends, they look at you like you're a friend and a family member, not like you're a celebrity. 
or anything bigger than them and probably never going to. So yeah. I have a younger brother. And especially brother with Italians. <laughs> yeah, they're not easily we're not easily impressed. No, I got guys who'd be like, Hey, when are you gonna give that up, man? You're never gonna get a real job. <laughs> <laughs> like, well it is a like, real yeah. job. <laughs> yeah. It's it's one of the hardest jobs, you know. Yeah, I would love a job nine to five where you know I don't have to prove myself every single time I show up at my job. They just kind of trust that I can do it, and you know, it's like every what do you do a week, and then you got to get another week and another week somewhere else, and yeah, it's like a regular job is kind of like a vacation for somebody that works as much as you do. Now, do, where's your home base? Are you based out of L.A. or or Jersey still? I have a place in Los Angeles. And I own a house in New Jersey. So you go back and forth <laughs> when you're not, I mean, when you're not on the road. What I did was, and sometimes I question it, but about 20 years ago, I got an apartment in North Hollywood. And it's a big one-bedroom apartment, and my car is there. Well, I never bought a house in L.A., and I never thought I was going to stay. But the area... Went from a bad neighborhood to an expensive neighborhood, and mm-hmm. I never got rid of the apartment. And the rent is still pretty great. So wow. what I did was I figured, let me keep the L.A. apartment. I'll just keep it, and I'll buy a house in New Jersey. So I bought the house I grew up in from my mom and dad so that they could live there, and I would take on the mortgage. Wow. And that's what I did. So I remodeled my house in New Jersey. So the way I look at it is, Mike Marino Entertainment, the office is in North Hollywood, and my home is in New Jersey, and my job is on a, on the road. <laughs> Wherever you're going to be. Now, you just got off a cruise recently? I was on the Empress of the Seas by Royal Caribbean. I took on a cruise a month because it pays great money, and you get to see the world, and it drops you off in Florida. And I need to be here in Florida this weekend for the Boca Black Box. And then on Sunday, I'll fly to New Jersey for two days if the snow lets me go home. From there, I go on to another cruise. And from that cruise, I come back to Florida for one show. I do a theater. From there, I go to L.A. for one show. And then L.A. to Buffalo, New York. It's kind of crazy how you can route yourself, kind of falls into place somehow. That is amazing. Yeah, because it would be horrible if you had to go back and forth and back and forth across the coast. But it is nice if you can just drop off at places on the way and, and make an actual route of it. Do you ever get out to Vegas? Yeah, I actually just did my West Coast tour. I did a week in Vegas. From Vegas, I went to Sacramento, California. From Sacramento, I went to Reno. And when I do stuff like that, you figure that's when I stay in Los Angeles. Now, if I'm going to do Florida and I'm going to do one of these ships, well, I could just base myself in Jersey, New York. I did Pennsylvania. We did a big concert in Pennsylvania. Um, Did about 500 people from Pennsylvania. I went to New York City and I performed at the cutting room. Do you take a break, Mike, at some point? Do you take like a week off and go on vacation ever? I think the first week of January, I'm going to do nothing. Okay. The holidays is high time to make money. Is it for comedy? I think so. I'm going to do a week on a cruise ship for Thanksgiving, a week on a cruise ship for Christmas, and then I have a big show on New Year's Eve. 
it's not great if you're married and have kids <laughs> or even have a girlfriend, but what are you supposed to do? I mean, it's great money and it's kind of a lot of fun. A girlfriend you can tag along. Kids and a husband or a wife gets a little harder. Well, I've never had a husband. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all it's cracked up to be. No, my husband. Girlfriend would be wonderful, <laughs> yes. Uh, it is from time to time to do that and take them with you and enjoy. You get a free vacation. I personally, I've never been married and I don't have any children. I really don't think it was because of the career because in my 30s, you know, I was in relationships where it should have went somewhere. It just didn't. And now mm. here I am in my uh, early 50s. You know, I just didn't happen. So who knows? But then again, most yeah. of my friends are divorced. Yeah, it's yeah, that's true. Or on their second marriage at this point, you know, so it doesn't work out all the way. Did you? So yeah. it's just you and your brother. You just came. Is it you and your brother? I have an older brother and a younger brother. Both of them live on the Jersey Shore in big houses. My dad's still alive. He lives in my home in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. And I'm just out there and about doing my thing. Do they come out? To, does your dad come out every to see you perform? My dad hasn't been to California in a long time, and he's 82 now. He's not going to be getting on a plane anytime soon. Um, but that's okay. You know, they do come and see me when I'm on the East Coast, and yeah, they get the mm -hmm. uh, they get the royal treatment. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I mean, that's they come that's when they realize, oh, okay. Yeah. They come and see his show, and there's a thousand people, and he looks like me. So people are like, wow, that must be his father. <laughs> oh, that's nice. And if, I mean, I feel like with what Sebastian's doing, the, the people are very interested in that Italian culture, you know, how we grew up. And we, you know, it's very funny. Our families are very funny, I think, just naturally. I don't think it's anything specific to one of us, you know. I mean, even my friends that aren't comedians, their families are hysterical. They're just. Jersey Italian, you know, or, or wherever, I think he's from Chicago Italian, but same thing. Like we're just, we come from funny people. I mean, I'm sure, have you incorporated a lot of your, uh, your like childhood and stuff into your act? Oh yes. Everything is from family based. Cause it's just funny, right? There's just things. I mean, they just do things. I mean, my dad's 82 as well. And, and I just, you know, he'll say stuff and I'm like, wow, you're just giving me material, dad. It's great. Like he, the way he views the world is hysterical and, and the way that he thinks it should go, you know, it's just really funny. And even his, I was, I just was watching my Facebook, like when it was like where you were a year ago or whatever Facebook does. And my dad was out to visit me in uh, Vegas and he'd just gotten on Facebook. I'd been telling him for years to get on Facebook because he's very nostalgic. He loves to, uh, you know, see what his friends are doing. I said, this is great, Dad. You know, And now I regret bringing him on there because it's a nightmare. But he got on there and he was telling my daughter, he says, uh, he was asking my daughter, who's 21, I want to take these people off my Facebook. How do I get them off? And my daughter said, well, why do you want to take them off? My dad goes, because they're dead. Because all my dad's friends are dying. So he doesn't want to see them anymore on his Facebook. He's like, take them off. Remove them. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. It's just so, he's just so funny the way he says things, you know. 
And, yeah. and that's a real thing, like at his age, because my dad is, my dad's 82, but my dad's still got a lot of energy. I don't think he's going anywhere for a long time, but he's having to deal with the mortality of, you know, all his friends are dying. Well, I used to get a lot of material from my mom when she was alive. And nowadays, yes, I can get more material from my dad because the older he gets when you call, the silly things that they say are hilarious. Yeah. Well, technology has got to be so, I mean, I'm fascinated from where we were growing up to where we are now. But for them, you know, my dad's always amazed, you know, if I'll, you know, be in the car and I'll, you know, ask for directions and they just pop up on the screen in my car. My dad's like, you know how we used to have to know how to go places. You know, I used to have to go call your uncle Sonny and ask him if he knows a quick route to get to, you know, to get to this place or that place, you know, and that, that was it. My grandmother used to sit in the back of the car and go, take a right at the light, take a left up there. You know, that's how we got places. And now it's just like, it's so easy. We can get anywhere and we don't even have to think about it. Like, I don't even have to remember how to get anywhere. You know, it's right there it's on me. the screen. How about this? Pull over and ask that guy if he knows where we are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, pull over. Ask him for directions. Yeah, There's somebody over there. Yeah. Hey, buddy. Yeah, you're buddy, almost there. <laughs> Could you imagine now? It would never happen. Oh, yeah, Was it a culture shock for you moving to L.A. from uh, what year did you move to L.A.? Yeah, I think it was uh, maybe like 88. And yeah, okay, it was yeah, a shock for me. I remember going in order for, and into a, uh, a diner and I said, and they say, what kind of bread do you want? And I go, well, uh, whole wheat. All right. And he said, do you want sourdough? I go, what the heck is that? <laughs> we never heard of it, right? We never heard of sourdough toast. <laughs> Why would I want my dough to be sour? Absolutely not. Yep. Sourdough. Or the other one that used to blow my mind is, you know, uh, sandwiches. And they would go, you want to put avocado on that? I'd never had an avocado until I was in my 30s. I, yeah. We don't have avocados. No one even talks about it. I or Mexican remember when food. I first said, do you want to get a taco? I go, you mean like on the Partridge family? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It was great. Yeah. No, I, I, we never had an exposure to Mexican food at all till I moved to L.A. And now I love it, but never. And, you know, it was like the first time I went to what people go, oh, you like pizza? You should go to this place. It was like after the 10th person told me that, I was like, all right, stop referring me to places because there's not going to be any place that I'm going to like, you know, or, you know, yeah. even you would get like a, a sub sandwich and I would go, why is it on a hot dog roll? Okay. Don't you got bread? Where's the bread? Yep. I miss all of that stuff. So it was very nice to be out in LA in the beginning. Now I kind of just deal with it. I'm like, oh, well, whatever. Well, the traffic has become so incredibly hard. I go back about, well, I haven't been back in the last two months, but I usually go back once a month. My kids are there, so I go out to visit them and, you know, I'll do shows in L.A. sometimes. I go to Flappers or whatever, but um, but it's it's just, it's so hard to be there. You know, I, I love it in Vegas where I live. Um, you know, I live up in Summerlin, so I'm kind of away from the Strip, but still, if I want to go to the Strip, I'm there in 10 minutes. It's easy. 
But um, I go to L.A. and I remember, wow, this was really hard. You had an audition at 5 o'clock, Santa Monica. <laughs> you had to try to get there. And you get on the 405 and it's like a parking lot. And you're like, oh, my gosh, it's so such a hard life. Why did you move to uh, Vegas? It's just cost of living. You know, I we wanted to buy a house and I started to see what kind of houses I could afford in L.A. And... I was, uh, at that time I was managing, I wasn't really acting as much anymore. We did a film, my husband and I did a film in New York with, um, with a friend of mine, Dave Rodriguez wrote a script. And so we produced this film with him. We both acted in it. Michael Rappaport was in it, Chaz Palminteri, Paul Servino, Stephen Bauer. And it was a great film. And I, I just felt like when we came back with this film, this was going to be, and I'm sure you can relate to this. You feel like this is going to be the break. This is going to be you know, when, when kind of the doors open up and, you know, things didn't really open up with the film. We came close to getting into Tribeca. It didn't happen. We didn't get into Sundance. That was disappointing. And then, uh, and then the film just, we didn't get, we couldn't sell it, you know, it was like, okay, it's going to go to DVD or whatever. And we were kind of okay with that, but it just was sort of disappointing. And then, you know, all those years of people going, well, if you want to get a good agent, you need good credits. And here I am. I'm like, I'm playing Michael Rappaport's wife in this movie. I thought something would open up and it was the same old stuff. And I just got discouraged. And so my manager, his partner, uh, the two partners broke up. I was managed by this company and the two partners broke up. And, uh, and I was going to help my friend because I'd worked at CAA years ago. And so I was just going to help my friend who was my manager, uh, you know, manage and, and get the breakdowns and that kind of stuff. Just help him until he found somebody. And, uh, you know, how just like how it was when I was working at the Laugh Factory. I started pitching people. People got auditions. And he was like, you're good at this. Why don't we just, why don't you come join me and we'll do this together? So I did, and I got into the management thing, and him and I were you know, were partners, and then uh, I broke off and started my own management company, and um, and it was going well, you know, it was like I, I had, you know, the, the way I describe it is like when I was acting, it was one horse in the race, and then when I was running a management company, I had 10 horses in the race, so it was it was rewarding seeing people get jobs and stuff, but it wasn't my passion, you know, I'm an artist, and I just felt like, man, I want to do this anymore. So I closed the company and we made the decision to move to Vegas. And, um, and it was a great decision because, you know, the property here is amazing, what you can get. I mean, we live in a house that's, you know, people come out to see me from LA and it looks like I made it. And all I did was move, you know, <laughs> it's right. like, wow, you know, and, um, and as you get older, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm around the same age you are, you know, I just start thinking about my future and, you know, what I want to be doing. And I got into real estate here. I'm selling real estate and I love it. And I still do stand up and I go out. I do acting as much because I'm not in LA and I'm just not, you know, it was a grind when I was, you know, young and now older, it's even harder. I feel like, yeah, if somebody like you, if somebody offered me a part, okay, great, but I'm not going to be auditioning, driving across town to try to, you know, say one line on a show. It's just, it's not rewarding for me. So I love it here and I have a really good life. I'm doing the podcast, which I love and get to talk to people and, uh, you know, and, and, and learn things. And then, um, you know, and then I do stand up here, uh, in Vegas, which is a lot of fun. Well, it all sounds absolutely fantastic. I hope you watch my little podcast. I actually don't do it as a podcast. I do it on uh, Facebook Live. But what I did okay. was, since I really do live in my mother's house, there's a basement like everybody else. 
and there was a bar down there, and all the furniture from my grandmother is still there. So I called the show live from my mother's basement, and believe it or not, <laughs> thousands of people started watching, and thousands, because I just say whatever the heck it is. And we got picked up by a radio station, which is called DDV Radio and Italian American Radio. So I, I really don't know how to do a podcast. I just do Facebook Live. <laughs> That's great. Well, it's not hard. I mean, my husband sets everything up because he's very technologically advanced. But so people who follow you on Facebook can just go on and watch, uh, and watch the show. I mean, it's a great yeah. title, Live from My Mother's Basement. I mean, who wouldn't want to tune into that? Yeah, <laughs> that's so, that's so great. Far, and then so do you, do you have guests or do you just talk yourself? I've had some guests on the show. Um, I take call-ins because they can call in on Instagram, and then mm -hmm. I got some sponsors, and uh, away we go. That's fantastic. And where can people find you, like uh, to check out your your live shows? Everything is MikeMarino.net, and social media is at MikeMarinoLive. Great. So this weekend you're at Boca, and how many shows are you doing there? We have two shows left here at the Boca Black Box and Boca Tone. Tonight, Friday night, November 16th, is it? <laughs> I don't even know what today is. Yeah, today's the 16th. And uh, tomorrow night, November 17th, Boca Black Box. Tell all your friends and family members that if they happen to be in Fort Lauderdale or the Miami Beach area, Delray Beach, let's go have some fun. It's beautiful. It's 90 degrees. Yeah, definitely. If you're in Jersey and you can get the hell out, get out because it's snowing. I heard my dad <laughs> says we got snow. I go, oh, God. No, thank you. I'll stay here in Vegas where we, it gets cold, but you know, the weather's very nice, very nice year round. I mean, we have, we have hot, it's hot during the summer, but that's about it. And then, um, and then people can, uh, check out the, how often do you do the Facebook live always when you're back in Jersey? What I do was I do it maybe twice a week and I do it from wherever I am. My last broadcast, I said, uh, I always do it live from my mother's basement via cuba via grand cayman via vegas wherever <laughs> i love Maybe it i'll do it today <laughs> via fort lauderdale yeah do it well it's always great to talk to you mike and i i just Thank have a, the utmost respect for you you're such a hustler you're always out there doing it killing it such a level of professionalism and uh if you guys i'm sure most most of my listeners have seen you but if you have not had the opportunity to go see mike marino check him out he crushes it great. and uh yeah my friend from jersey the tour is called make america italian again the catchphrase, you don't know nothing, you didn't see nothing, you don't say nothing, log on to MikeMarino.net. I'll uh, show you a good time. Love it. And you, and he's got a really great YouTube channel, so check out his YouTube channel as well. Is that just called Mike Marino? Yes, Mike Marino live on YouTube. And when I come out to Vegas, we'll make sure we get you a, a nice co-starring role in my Make America Italian Again web series. I love it. I could do that. That's that's straight across the plate for me, Mike. <laughs> All right, you guys, let's make a t make America Italian again. Thank you, Mike Marino, for doing the show. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, that's all we got for today. All right. Well, thank you very much.
I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Um, We're going to be taking a little tiny, tiny break through the holidays, but we've got some exciting stuff coming up in the new year. Wishing everybody a very safe and happy holiday season. Spend it with your family, spend it with your friends, and tell them all about Andrea Town. All right, thanks, you guys. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Bye. 